Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello and welcome to Garibaldi Red, the first of our World Cup specials and I'm delighted to be joined by a Nottingham Forest legend in the form of a European Cup winner and a former manager in Martin O'Neill. Martin, how are you doing? I'm fine, man. How are you? Uh, yes, good. Doing media rounds, promoting your book. You must be pretty tired of talking about it or are you still enjoying it? I think that if it's uh, for a short period of time, which I think it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's actually been a bit of fun, I must admit. You know, I've been over in Ireland and uh, towards uh, last weekend and um, obviously up in Nottingham on, on Saturday. So, but uh, yeah, absolutely fine. Thank you. Yes. You mentioned you'll be in Nottingham, a book signing, I should say, we'll give it a good plug before we start. Uh, Waterson's Bridlesmith Gate on Saturday between two and three. So do get down and see Martin. Um, tell us about the, the book and, and why now? I, I actually penned it myself rather than having it ghostwritten. Um, because I really wanted to do it myself, it, it would be my my voice, I suppose, as as um, as a, it's being read. I think that um, I stuck it down in longhand as well to throw back to my days of quite some years ago at school. So, and I accept the fact that there are easier ways to do it. I must admit that. My, so my daughters kept telling me, but. Um, writing in longhand and then photocopying it, sending it to my daughters who would put it onto a machine to at least uh, speak into. I think that, um, well, we, we got there in the end eventually, you know, so, but it was, it was genuinely fun doing it. I think that probably started about six months ago, really. And um, I'd written just a couple of little pages myself, particularly days that I remember distinctly, you know, first day ever at Nottingham Forest, way back in October, 1971. And then, um, and then Brian Clough's first day arriving as well too. So those those two days are so so clear in my memory now at this minute that uh, the last things I think will ever fade from me. So I think I really kind of started from there and uh, and just kept going. Does it come easy to you as someone who you know writes a lot for a living? The first words are the hardest ones I find, and yeah, then it flows. Yeah, from absolutely. There. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, yeah, just putting just putting down what I thought were vivid recollections that were my recollections anyway. Um, it might be interesting to see whether, uh, for instance, John Robertson, who was in the dressing room at the same time as me that particular day, uh, way back when Brian Clough first arrived in January 1975, his recollection of it might be slightly different. But it, but in essence, really what happened there was, uh, was I think, uh, pretty true to form. Before we talk about you coming to Forest then, um, just you, growing up in Northern Ireland, my history is not amazing, but I think the troubles are starting around the time you come to Nottingham. Bloody Sundays not far away on the horizon. Were you, were you keen to get out of Northern Ireland to pursue a life in football, or were you happy with your studies as you were trained to be a solicitor? I think. Yeah, I was. I was. Um, I was at a Queen's University in in Belfast at the time, playing amateur football for Distillery, Distillery Football Club. They were an Irish league team. So we were getting a little bit of prominence. You know, we had won the Irish Cup. And as a result, we had uh, uh, we were playing in this season's uh, European Cup Winners' Cup, as it was called at that time. And we were drawn against Barcelona. So after, uh, and in the first game at Windsor Park, I had to score a goal against Barcelona. So I'm getting a little bit of, uh, there's uh, a bit of traction around, around me at the time. And then this opportunity uh, to play for Northern Ireland in the last 20 minutes. I got chosen in a game. In fact, it was the last match in Northern Ireland uh, for quite some considerable years for the national side. And so this would have been October of, uh, of 1971. I get on for the last 20 minutes. Matt Gillies, who's overwatching Liam O'Kean play, because Liam is one of his players at Nottingham Forest, saw the game, puts in a bid for me, and there I am. I arrive at, uh, I arrive at Nottingham. Um, in, uh, in 1971, just just determined, as you mentioned, just the troubles were really 
where they were they were not just brewing, but they were rife at that time in, in Northern Ireland. So I suppose perhaps maybe an opportunity to to start a, a footballing career, um, which is something I really wanted to do from an early age. Had there been much interest in you, you know, from other English clubs, or had you kind of broken through so quickly that Forrest stole a march then? The coach of the Northern Ireland team, and uh, he was a player manager called Terry Neal, who ended up managing um, both Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal for long periods. Uh, he was player manager of Hull City, and um, and he uh, he was the one that put me on for the 20 minutes in the game. There had a, a couple of players didn't turn up, from, from England in the game. And rather than getting a replacement from, from, let's say, from Birmingham or somewhere like that, then he put me into the squad. I get the last 20 minutes. He, in actual fact, made a bid of £10,000 for me to hull. And about three days later, it was up to 15000 by Nottingham Forest. So I think then, I think I owe a lot to him because he was the one that really got the ball rolling as much as anything else. But obviously, Forest being in the big league, the top league, you know, it was called the first division at the time, but it was the Premier League as it is now. Then that's where I really wanted to be. What kind of football club do you join then in, in Forest? Because, you know, the years of Brian Clough and big success are a few years away at this point. What was it like when you first walked through the door? All right. The, well, the club was in turmoil at the time. It was it was difficult. They had had, um, remember, we we're talking a couple of years after their fantastic effort when they got to the semi-final of the FA Cup in in 1967, runners up in the league as well too. So, uh, and they had a very fine side. But some of the players perhaps were getting, you know, just uh, uh, a little bit older. Um, perhaps I, I'm not exactly sure what had, what had happened to them. But uh, the, we, they still possessed a great footballer, Ian Story Moore. It was fantastic that he left to go to Manchester United a couple of months later, and. Um, and so it, it was just, it was a real struggle for the team throughout the year. It really didn't bother me too much, Matt, because I was, uh, I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm young now and I'm going to change the world, aren't I? You know, I'm going to, I'm ready and I'm going to, and I scored in my debut against West Bromwich Albion, followed up a couple of weeks later by a goal at Old Trafford against George Best, Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law. And I think, well, well, this is a really easy game now, you know, I'm, 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 superstar no? absolutely but uh, life doesn't uh, just doesn't work out like that you know I think there were a few difficulties ahead you mentioned Ian Story more I'm meandering ahead a little bit but I mean he's been on here he's a lovely man and I, I guess he becomes a big ally of yours he's a chief scout for you at a few clubs isn't he tell us a bit about your relationship with him he uh, well naturally a great footballer at the time he um, he's head and shoulders the best player at the football club uh, he had been brilliant in the previous couple of years as well, from about 1968 to th right through. You almost got the impression that he was keeping Forrest in the big league single-handedly, scoring goals from outside left, just a really, really, really top-quality player. And in, um, in March of 1972, Brian Clough tried to take him to Derby County. And uh, in fact, Ian was paraded around the baseball ground at the time in '72 much to the real annoyance of the Nottingham Forest Committee, who hadn't given it permission. But Brian, <laughs> in his own inimitable way, was trying to push things through and felt that if, if he could parade uh, Ian Story Moore around the ground, then uh, surely the, the Nottingham Forest Committee would be too embarrassed to say, oh, the move has not taken place. But no, they stood their ground, and uh, Ian eventually went to Manchester United. Unfortunately, he picked up an injury about within, I think, within a year or 18 months and really stopped what, what would have been a, a glittering career to play alongside Bess, Charlton and, and Law. But uh, a really, a really fine, you mentioned, really lovely man, genuinely lovely man. It's, I've, I've, uh, for someone who was so, so good, really so good, he is uh, so self-effacing about his career. It's untrue. But then I got to... Uh, uh, obviously, I kept in touch with him during the years. He came back to the Nottinghamshire area to live again after his career had finished. And um, he did some management himself. But when I had the opportunity, uh, particularly Aston Villa, for him to come in and uh, do the scouting, which he was a very, very good judge of a player, that's when we, um, we uh, came back together again. So you mentioned Brian Clough there, and obviously you can't do an interview in your life without mentioning Brian Clough, I'm sure. When he arrived... Did you feel like the group of players was crying out for someone like him or was it a bolt from the blue and he just shook up the whole world around you? A bit of both, I think. I, he came in that day and, uh, I, I mean, what, 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 a, 
first of all, it would be it would be a genuine honour for a second division club like ourselves at the time to have a manager of that calibre thinking about managing us. Do you remember he had won the Dar- he had won the league at Derby in nineteen seventy two? I know that uh, Brian resigned almost every single week, and finally the chairman decided, well, okay, if if that's what you're doing, you're going to have to resign. Brian didn't like it at all. Then left to go to Brighton. He and Peter Taylor went down to Brighton. Then Brian had the chance to go back into the big league again with Leeds United. That was never never going to work because he had been too critical of those those players. Those players were brilliant, brilliant footballers, but he had been too critical, saying that they had cheated and they didn't deserve their medals and they should throw them in the bin. So that sort of an approach might not get you too far if you have if you are current um, um, league champions. So it didn't happen for him 44 days. And then now suddenly in January of 1975, he was coming to, to Nottingham Forest, 15, 16, 70 miles down the road from us into the second division. Well, you know, and we would be, we, we would have been a group of nondescripts at that stage, you know. So uh, I think just him, um, you know, what shall I say, blazing into the place, perhaps, you know, he, you, knew that, you knew that life was going to change. Let me put it this way. And why the results didn't exactly follow immediately um, or for a period of time. In fact, I think after the first two victories, we didn't go, we didn't win a game for about 15 or 16 matches. You just felt that when Brian, when uh, Peter Taylor, his sidekick, arrived with him, uh, life was going to really, really going to change. What was your relationship like with Clough? It sounds like it was occasionally fairly fractious. Was it always that way or did it evolve over the years? As John Robertson says to me, if you look at the records, Martin, you know, we went to the year we won the league with 42 games and you, you actually played in 38 of them, you know, so fairly decent. And the year that we went, uh, the between seasons, we went in 42, ironically also, 42 league game uh, unbeaten unbeaten run, only to be bettered by Arsenal, what, a few years ago. Um, and I also played in 38 of those. So I shouldn't really complain too much. But it seemed as if I was trying to, uh, uh, from a distance, or maybe maybe at the time, I felt as if that, uh, always looking for his approval, I must admit, but weren't we all? And and didn't seem as forthcoming in my direction as often as it was and maybe in John Robertson's or Tony Woodcock's. But then again, they might turn around and say, well, listen, you know, John was superstar. So, you know, take your time. Was that him managing you? Do you think he perhaps he thought that's what you needed to perform? You needed a point to prove, do you think? Do you know what? I, I absolutely. In hindsight, I think that's exactly right. I think that's what he felt about me um, and I think in all honesty I think a little bit of praise here and there would have uh, wouldn't have gone amiss but uh, yeah I think that was that was his case you know as much as anything else plus the fact that I'm not so sure that he was all that wildly fond of me either so maybe and third point maybe I didn't deserve all these little uh, little uh, points of of praise that uh, that he was used to giving to other players it might be a difficult one to answer, but why do you think he wasn't fond of you? I said, I, I spoke too much in the dressing room and, and I, sh- I shouldn't have, uh, I, I really should have just kept quiet. As, uh, as my old pal, John Robertson said, Martin, just sit down, leave it. But if I thought that there was a point to argue, and and you know what? There's the absolutely should should have done. I should have taken John's advice, just sit there, take the criticism, get on with it. But um, because you're never going to win, generally as a player, you're never really going to win as a manager and absolutely no chance of winning an argument when Brian Clough was the manager. Was that the budding solicitor in you then, going back to Queen's College? You were, you were the argumentative nature, is that always there? I think, I, you know what, sometimes I think about it with, um, with uh, great embarrassment as much as anything else, Matt. Yeah, listen, the, the, man was a, the man was absolutely phenomenal at his job. He was terrific. He was so charismatic the time and um, and someone like that there is going to change your life and that's exactly what he did with a group of us where would you have been today do you think if brian clough hadn't come into forest it's difficult to answer but would you it is really difficult to answer i i some i sometimes uh, i am asked that question and i really don't know about myself would john robertson have been a really good player yes would tony woodcott have been a really good player yes viv anderson absolutely ian boyer i i, I think that that's right um, would we have had the success that we did have as a, as a football club with, uh, with Brian Clough hadn't been there? Absolutely not. We wouldn't have done that. So, I, you know, you would like to think at some... Funnily enough, um, 
I actually played, started to play really well under Dave McKay in 1970-73. I was only very young, obviously, was, but I started to play really well, as did John Robertson, uh, 73. And when Dave left to go to Derby County, it left a bit of a void. And a new manager called Alan Brown came in, didn't see eye to eye with myself, didn't see eye to eye with John Robertson, which gives me a great excuse because if you don't see eye to eye with John Robertson, who's a wonder player, then you don't feel so bad. But, um, but really, yeah, I, so Brian Clough arriving in, Dar at, at, um, um, in Nottingham in, 19, um, in 1975, early 75, was uh, maybe, maybe a glimmer again for me to, to, you know, to resurrect a, a career that seemed, it seemed for a while to once on the boil and then secondly, right and truly off, or well and truly off the boil. But uh, hard, to, hard to imagine, hard to, hard to imagine what it would be like without him now. When I think about it, had any other manager come in? Not so sure that we would have had it. So how on earth do you go on to win the league then? Because like you say, it was a it took a few years to get going under Brian. You didn't take the second division by storm when you got promoted. And then obviously you go on this incredible run. Was it players clicking, the new additions coming in? Was it Clough and Taylor hitting their stride back in the top flight? How do you explain it? I think remember we 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 scrambled up really. We we finished uh, we finished third in the league that year. There was no such things as playoff positions. So it was Wolves, Wolves and uh, and Chelsea and uh, and us going up in a game where we weren't even involved in. Our season had ended against I think it was against Millwall. I think we had won 1-0 and then a week later and very the very week later, we are in a plane traveling to was it to Mallorca or somewhere like that, and um, and news come news come over the the um, the uh, or the pilot made some announcement that um, that um, uh, Bolton were a goal behind against Wolves, and we didn't hear anything else then until after until we touched down, and of course there's, there's this frantic charge to get to a phone. No, no mobile, no mobile phones in those days, and the chairman of the football club uh, took a, or phoned home, and then as we were all gathering around waiting for the result, not knowing we did, didn't know what the score would be, he said, to, I think he said to Brian, I think congratulations are in order, and obviously the um, um, Wolves had won the game at Bolton. Now Bolton still needed to score, needed to win their uh, game against Bristol Rovers, I think it was, on the following Tuesday by about fourteen or fifteen goals. And even Brian Clough didn't celebrate until after that game was over, just to make sure. But in essence, we, we knew that we were going to make it. So suddenly then, we're in the big league. Of course, uh, pre-season, pre we signed uh, Kenny Burns, uh, changed Kenny Burns from a centre-forward at Birmingham to a centre-half, and that was, uh, that was a big move. And then within seven games, uh, Peter Shilton and Archie Gemmel arrived. And then a couple of weeks after that there, then David Needham. So in essence, although we haven't, by today's standards, not the biggest squad in the world, I think those additions uh, helped us enormously, really. And we just got on a run and could not, didn't even think about defeat, believe it or not. Really did not think about that. Other than we took a, we took a feral dousing at, um, at Arsenal one day. I think it was about our fourth or fifth game in. And uh, Clough and Taylor weren't too happy about that. So that's... Uh, Weren't, weren't happy at all about uh, about us how we just uh, we just laid down as far as they were concerned. Well, I don't think we actually did that. It's hard to say that Larry Lloyd would ever lie down, but um, and we got the feeling that they weren't very pleased, and they continued their uh, their um, tirade against us in uh, not only in the dressing room at the at the old uh, the old Arsenal Stadium at Highbury, but continued it the following Monday as well too when. Uh, when um, tempers were really frayed. But I think we learned a lot from that. And um, our run, I think that we lost uh, three games that season in the league, and the last one being around about November time. So fantastic run. And uh, Clough and Taylor, of course, obviously in their element at the time, as the results were going from strength to strength. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
you mentioned Kenny there. Let's, uh, let me ask you about him because I used to ghostwrite his column and Gary's column for the post. I couldn't put Kenny on a video like this because I wouldn't have a clue what he was going to say even now. What was Kenny like in the dressing room as a player? Oh, Burns. Burns Burns was, uh, well, as you know, that uh, he was uh, he was very strong. First of all, he was um, he was abrasive. And uh, when uh, I know, and he had a couple of false teeth, as you know, and when he took those teeth out, I have to say, Matt, he was uh, he was a, a scary character. And that was just in the dressing room. So you can imagine what opposition centre forwards might have felt like when they're up against him. Burns was a good player, good, very, very strong. And he and Larry Lloyd in particular had a really been, uh, you know, obviously a, a, great, a great combination. And uh, Lloyd could play a bit. Kenny, um, Kenny used to um, used to sweep the ball out to the left hand side all the time. And when I complained that it was going out to the left, uh, Brian Clough said, and so it should be, son, he's a genius, meaning John Robertson is a genius. <laughs> and uh, so from all of those things, but Burns was a strong player. He won the player of the year that year, but I think they got that because, uh, because he was, um, uh, what shall I say, um, a renewed character. You know, he had been a, had a bit of a reputation, I think, in Birmingham for always fighting, occasionally getting sent off and, maybe smashing, if he was playing centre-forward, smashing the uh, the big centre-half beside him. And then suddenly, you know, Clough and Taylor uh, tamed him and he uh, and he became a, a, um, an obvious stalwart of the side. I suppose one of the great moments of that season is when you win the league and Shilton pulls off that save from, you know, Ferguson. I mean, that was four years before I was born and I still you feel like I was there in a sense because you see it that many times. Is that the best save? That you've seen, you know, on a pitch yourself. Yeah, it was a fantastic save, but a really great save. And of course, because of the day, because that was an, enabled us to win the title that day. But Matthew, if we hadn't have won the league then that day, we'd have won it the following week. And if we hadn't have won it the following week, we'd have won it the week the week after that. But because we happened to win it that particular week, and the save was magnificent. Then, then it goes into into folklore. But uh, again, the nil 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 draw was enough for us to get that 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 point that we needed, and of course celebrations could begin. So then you go into Europe the next season. I know you you mentioned you played in Europe with Distillery, but I mean, what chance did you give yourselves, especially when you draw Liverpool in the first round? Well, that's yeah, exactly. When when you're you're, you're champions of you're champions of England, you feel great. You're going into playing the European Cup, the European Cup now suddenly, and the and you want to draw against uh, you want to draw against Inter Milan, you want to be draw against Juventus, or you want to play against Barcelona, or maybe maybe you don't really want to play them so early on in the competition. But whatever you want to do, you want to play in Europe, and then we're drawn against Liverpool, who happen to be European champions as well too, and uh, there wouldn't wouldn't have been too many give us a chance over the over the two over the two legs. But at that stage. In the previous season, we had kind of got the Indian sign over, over Liverpool. You know, they found it hard to beat us. And it was nice to go into up to Anfield knowing that Ian Boyer's by your side, you know, when Boyer could look after himself and uh, he wouldn't take much nonsense from, uh, from some of the Liverpool players, you know. So uh, it, it, that, 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 was, that was good. Um, and that would have been great. But as, as it turns out, that's, at, that, at that stage, those... I really meant just not necessarily in that particular game, which I didn't play in. I'm talking about in general heading up to Anfield, you know, where, uh, where Boyer could, uh, as I say, look after himself well. And there's these iconic goals as well, Colin Barrett, Gary Bertels as well, breakthrough. Do you have any Bertels anecdotes as a regular on this podcast that might hang him out to dry that I could throw back at him? Yeah, funnily fun enough, I just actually mentioned in, in, um, in the book, and I think this was right, um, Gary, had, Gary had played uh, Gary had been signed, signed from Long Eaton uh, he had played a game I think at wide left hand side in, in, uh, in the, was it in the previous year whatever, whatever it was but he seemed to be you know uh, dropped down the, the pecking order when uh, Peter With sorry Peter With left after we won the, the league title he played Peter played the opening game against Tottenham Hotspur and then left to go to Newcastle United and they left a big void in the team. No question about that. Uh, Peter With was a fantastic footballer for us. Really great centre forward. And, and it was a real shame that he left the, left the football club. I think he was arguing with the manager over about a 10 or 20 quid or something like this year. We thought, oh, crazy. He should have he been given it. Anyway, so he leaves. 
And then a young lad called Stephen Elliott moves into his position. And, and Gary really wasn't thought of greatly at that particular time, regardless of, of how he has turned out. And I remember us playing a, a game against um, against Mansfield. I think it might have been a county cup game on a Monday or Tuesday night or something like this. And um, and the the manager of Mansfield at the time was was Billy Bingham, who ended up becoming manager of the Northern Ireland. And asking me, he said, hey, "No, I, I do like." He said, "I do like Bertles as a player." He said, "Do you think he had of any interest in coming?" And I said, "Well, I can ask him absolutely." And Gary would have we would have been very interested in coming. And the next thing you know, whether he goes in to see um, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor or not, I don't know. But he's thrust into the game the the, uh, the previous uh, before Liverpool. He was, I think it was, was it against uh, was it against Arsenal? Against uh, yeah, Arsenal, yeah. And and does well in the game, and then suddenly there he is in his essentially his third game for Nottingham Forest start third start in the game. He's playing against Liverpool, and he did brilliantly. Did brilliantly from then on in. So he was, um, um, he was uh, 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 naturally a, a really great fit in many aspects, but more more um, fortunate rather than anything else because he wasn't the immediate choice after Peter Withered left. This is a wider question. Do you need that in a career, in your career as well? Moments of fortune, moments of misfortune will come on to as well. Absolutely. You definitely need them. No no question about it. There's There, there are moments in games, you know, people talk about sliding doors moments and things like this here, what, what, what could have gone. I certainly in a managerial career, you know, you need a result to go for you just at a certain time, particularly if it's been a struggle before that. Uh, yeah, no question. There's definitely little little moments that uh, had they gone the other way, you know. I, and I also talk about moments of misfortune. Had they been fortunate, then perhaps maybe things would have uh, been different. Isn't sure? Isn't that life? I mean, I guess the big one for you at the time was the '79 European Cup final, when you probably think, oh, "This is my moment, and it's gone." And obviously, you get the year later. But what, what are your recollections of the 1979 final now? Have they? changed at all no the recollections are are really no they're very very clear um uh, three weeks to the day of the european cup final uh, man, uh we nottingham forest were playing manchester city and um i got kneed in the thigh by dave watson the then center half of manchester city uh turned out to be a blood clot in my leg and i really couldn't straighten the leg for about eight to ten days so it, it, as each day was passing and getting closer to the um, to the um, to the final, I, I didn't know. Suddenly, I'm, I'm uh, this player called Frank Wignall, Frank, who used to play for Nottingham Forest Derby, tells me about um, a physiotherapist up in Mapperley called Norman Collins. And he said, Norman Collins is a, is a brilliant physio. He's, his eyesight's not great, but he's got a fantastic feel and he could help. And so I go outside the to do this here. So I'm up at, um, to try and get fit for a European Cup final. So I'm there. At Norman, the only time Norman could fit me in, because he was so busy th right through the day, was at five o'clock in the morning. So I, I'm living out in East Bridgeford at the time. So I travel in every single morning to Mapperley to see him to do at least two hours work before I ever go down to the city ground. And I owe, I owe Norman Collins a great deal because I, I wouldn't even have made it onto the bench had he had been uh, had he not been there, there at the time. So from that viewpoint, great. So I shouldn't, <clears throat> of course, you want to play in a European Cup final. Of course, you don't think that Nottingham Forest are going to get to two. And Archie Gemmell and myself didn't play and didn't get on the field. And if you're not in that field, man, you do, you, it doesn't matter about a semi-final. It doesn't matter about great wins against Cologne. You do not feel part of it, you know? And when I look at some of the footage there, when I see the boys jumping around or having won the cup and hoisting it along, and then you see my face in the background as, as uh, you know, as as poor looking a, a face as you're likely to see. Then um, it's not it's not great. So um, I was obviously disappointed. But I think that the manager, having three injuries to concern himself with, myself, Archie Gamble and Frank Clark, pro Frank probably to a lesser extent, he didn't want to be going into a European Cup final with those with those with players who hadn't done that much training. And whether I would have played or not, I don't know, since Trevor Francis became eligible to play in the final that year. Who knows? But obviously massively disappointed, as was Archie. 
And Archie never got a chance after that. Archie went to Birmingham City and so never, never participated in the European Cup final. But the second time round, totally different. Obviously, you're playing in the final and this is what it's all about. There's stories around the medals. I think you have one. Gary Mills has been on here and said one about how he, I don't think he ever got his medal in 1980 or 79 and it still irks him. And yourself, is it right you didn't get a medal for 79 or you declined it? What's the story? No, what, no, what happened was that um, once the final whistle goes and then you're going up to collect your medal. So you, the players who played and the substitutes get their medals. Unlike now today, in today's game where medals, there are a number of medals for, let's say, the manager, the coach, the back, some of the backroom staff, things like this here. But in those days, the medals were just cut for players, players and substitutes. So we got the medals. So when we were in the dressing room after the game was over, after the, all the celebrations on the field, again, I think the manager realised that, um, that uh, there wasn't a medal for him. And then that he would like to have a medal cut. And they thought the fairest way to do that was not just to take one off a substitute, but to take all the medals of the substitutes and then get the medals cut during the summertime. And then when we come back pre-season to give the medals back. Now, okay, fine, if that was the case. But what I wanted to do in the meantime was to go outside from the dressing room at, uh, in the uh, Olympic Stadium in, in, uh, in Munich and show it to my family outside to show the medal. This is the medal that I had won. And I wanted to show the medal, even though I didn't feel part of proceedings, you know, but at least it's, it's there. And, um, and I just said to him, I asked the manager, I said, can I do this? And I'll bring the medal back immediately. And he said, and he didn't give me the permission to do that. So, and I thought that was kind of lousy, you know? And so I threw the medal across the, 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 across the table and that, uh, across this massage table in the little, in little dressing room in Munich. And it, um, it's, it was like a skimming stone, you know, it just, it, it, and I thought that he's going to, he's going to really go through me here, but he didn't. And then I picked it up on the far side and then I put it back into the box, the little red box that we were given. And there was a little marker on the box, a little yellow marker. And I drew a, a little mark on the box. And I said to Jimmy Gordon, who was the coach, Jimmy, this is the medal I want back. I don't want any other medal back other than this one, because this is the one I won tonight. And when, they, when, the, and when we were pre-season, we got, we got the medals back. But uh, no, that was, that was real disappointment. We could have... Uh, we could have gone home with a medal. And then the following day or the day after that there, even though the season was over, we could have gone down to the city ground and handed the medals in. And uh, so it just have been nice for, for family and uh, to have seen the medal, which they didn't do until quite some months later. Was your relationship with the manager harmed then until you won in 1980 or was it, was it repaired pretty quickly? I think in January of, of the following year, the year that we did win it, yeah, there, I, there was a... I think Peter Taylor wanted me to uh, leave to go to Coventry City, and uh, I was the um, I um, Mick Ferguson, who was the centre forward for Coventry, was coming in the other direction, and that move never materialised. It it was it was went very very close to doing it. In fact, I actually even signed some blank copies of a contract for Coventry at the time. And, uh, and the, the transfer never materialised. So from that viewpoint, I'm probably very grateful and very pleased that it didn't do because then we go on to the League Cup final, although we lose, uh, but we end up winning the European Cup. And so perhaps if I had gone to Coventry in January uh, of 19, um, 1980, I wouldn't, have, uh, I wouldn't have been in Madrid that night and, uh, when we beat Hamburg. Forgive me for jumping ahead, Mike, because I'm conscious of the time. Returned to the club as manager in 2019. Obviously, you'd had great success at Celtic, Leicester and Villa. Why come back to Forest at that time? What was the reason? Uh, just to try and get them promotion. That was really as simple as that. I had the opportunity a number of times beforehand, including the previous year. But, uh, you know, I, I, I thought this was the, this would be the time. Uh, I really, it was a long time since the, the club had been in the big league and that's all I wanted to do was try and get them promotion. I said to the uh, owner at the time that um, just wanted the 18 months to do so. If we couldn't get them up in that time, particularly in the in this second year, uh, then I would obviously walk away. And that was just that opportunity. So <clears throat> he, um, uh, yeah, he was um, happy with that. I came in January, about halfway through January at the time. Uh, we took a couple of 
we took a couple of loan players and I think I signed, um, signed a lad who was out of contract or was going to be out of contract at Leicester City, big centre half at the time. But um, I'm not so sure that uh, that 19 games in charge is um, is any real criteria, you know. So uh, if I'd known that, uh, if I'd known that that's what I was going to get, then obviously I, I I wouldn't have bothered, particularly for a club so close to your heart. I mean, it's easy. It's a hindsight question, but do you wish you hadn't taken it now? Oh, if I, again, just getting back, man. If if 19 games, I never for one minute I thought. In actual fact, the owner said to me, don't even worry about this season. If we can scramble into the playoffs, that would be great. It would be lovely if that was the case. And, um, and But he said, no, we will, uh, we will have reinforcements in the summertime and, uh, and we'll really go for it. And I, was, um, I, I thought that, that's, that's great. It does take you a couple, of, uh, a couple of weeks, if not a little bit longer, to get to know the strengths and weaknesses of the team. And uh, it is amazing to see how, how, how few players are there at the football club now. Oh, you would expect the changes to take place when the team goes into the, uh, into the Premier League. But even the changes that the other managers were able to uh, were able to enact, um, then uh, fine. So absolutely, yes. If I'd uh, hindsight been a wonderful thing, but after 19 games, particularly having won the last three of the season, although I mean too late to get into the playoffs. However, but you're just getting to know you're getting to know the uh, the team, and uh, no. So that's it. I do one week of pre-season. And called into by uh, the chief executive to say that the way I was wanting to run the football club was not the way they were wanting to run it. So I'm sitting in my office then, 24, 24 minutes later, when uh, Lamucci is announced as the manager. You think that at least they let me to get get out get out of the office, but I'm still in my office at uh, at the city ground when when this is unfolding. But that's the listen. That's the nature of the game. Don't. Uh, it's. Uh, it's. Um, that's it. But as I said, just getting to know the uh, the uh, the strengths of the team, and uh, then I noticed that there was this idea that there was a uh, sort of a a player power against me. Well, I'm not so sure that not so sure, Matthew, that there was that many players of great power in the in the dressing room. You know, in all honesty, I think Ben Watson had won a medal, but I'm not so sure that there. It was littered with gold dust after that, so I'm uh, not so sure that that was actually true. Yeah, I, mean, I remember at the time it felt like there was some fairly substantial briefing against you that the the players didn't like you and didn't like your methods. Is that not a fair reflection then in your mind? What one never knows about what what is. I mean, what 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 does that matter? When I when I went to manage, I mean, went to I went to manage Wickham Wonders when I started out, and there are a number of players reeled against my management. And uh, and then I came right through, and uh, and we're stalwarts in the team. I know I mentioned this word before. When I go to Leicester City, I can't win a game to save my life early on, and um, and players then arguments in dressing rooms and things like this. Here, all those players we carry, you know, when we have success, all those players are there lifting their medals at uh, at Hillsborough in the League Cup final replay, and uh, and two years later at Wembley. So all of those things can happen. I fall out with some some players at, at Celtic as well, too. Some very very good players at Celtic, who pushed pushed it to the side. And in uh, you know, my first time dealing with Stillian Petrov, for instance, a young player at Celtic, and uh, saying to him, Stillian, you've got to really get a push on here now. You've got to do some things, otherwise you're going to be left behind. What did Petrov do? He said he did. Absolutely did that there. And then when I took went to Aston Villa, he was my first signing. So Petrov was a Terrific footballer, great player, but needed needed pushing, like anything else. So so I don't uh, I really I don't get this if if the, if that style of management they talk about is is uh, is not to someone's liking. Well, it didn't seem to be the next manager's liking or the manager after that. There, you know. So uh, whatever it may be, uh, so, so far. But what uh, I don't I'm. I, I'm not. I'm not so sure that that is really true. And if it is true, I, although it was perpetuated, you know. So I again, I get back to saying that um, there wouldn't be too many players in that in that dressing room at that time that would have had amazing power, as in you know that, that the whole world was going to be listening to. I wanted to ask you about two players. One who's there now and gets in. The other one is João Carvalho, who uh, my time writing about Forrest has probably divided the fan base more than other. There's the camp who think he's brilliant. There's the camp who think he's pretty much anything but brilliant. There was a real clamour for you to pick him. He had one good game in 
five or six and that that put a lot of pressure on you what what was your experience of managing Zhang? right okay well he was the most expensive player at that time before before uh, this season or perhaps even last season he was the most expensive player accordingly anyway that he had cost uh, what was it, about 15 million pounds from benfica where he'd actually played two games for benfica and suddenly he's uh, 15 million pounds uh, 15 million pounds player well he actually wasn't in the team when i when i arrived believe it or not I had um, I had watched them play the previous the previous week, them being Forest at Reading, where they had lost uh, against Reading, and uh, and so he wasn't in the side. So I was essentially going to go roughly as my first game in charge with roughly the team that had played before. I don't I didn't really know, and uh, we didn't win against Bristol City, but we won our second game, and so we were up and running. But there was this uh, you know uh, clamour to play him seemingly from a, a section of the fans, Carvalho, Carvalho. It seemed a nice, a nice sounding name that you know that could ring nicely with them. Um, uh, but uh, the the proof of the pudding, like anything else, is on the field of play, and um, and I'd have to ask how many times Lemucci, who said in his, I think Lemucci in his first two weeks at manager said that Carvalho was a great, great player. And what did you do? Never played him. Never played him. But then the clamour went down. Then after that there, when uh, when Lamucci was getting some results, I know that uh, it didn't. It went a bit pear-shaped for the, for the playoffs. But when you're getting some results, then the clamour dies down. And uh, and then the following, the next manager, was it, uh, uh, was it, um, was it Chris, Chris Hutton? He didn't play him either. And I don't know where, uh, I'm not so sure where Cavallio is now at the moment. So, there was this big clamour to play. Clamour, uh, he had nice ability, nice ability, but you need more than just nice ability to, to perform at any level, never mind uh, never mind the championship. And so I don't know, It's I'm not so sure that there's a clamour for him now at the minute, is there? I don't know where he is. Uh, Portuguese second division, I think. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He did play, he, he did play a very, very fine game against, uh, against Middlesbrough one day. Tony Pulis was in charge of Middlesbrough. But I think Middlesbrough at that stage had uh, decided that, um, that promotion wasn't for them. And, and on a very fine, nice day, at, uh, uh, he, um, he, played, he played really well to show a glimpse of what might be there. And then uh, the following, it was the following Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm not exactly sure, um, he played. He played alongside um, uh, an Iranian uh, forward. The two of them played against Aston Villa and never got a kick. You know, so an Aston Villa would have been the uh, would have been the benchmark rather than a fading Middlesbrough. You were saying you mentioned another player. Was it? Uh, oh, Joe Worrell. No, Joe Joe Worrell was. Um, I think he was at Rangers at the time. So I didn't. I I, I met Joe. As he was just finishing his stint at Rangers, so he obviously he would have been back back in the ground. And then there was young Ryan Yates that I prevented from going. He was out on loan, I think he had been at loan at Notts County. I think it was somebody else was asking for him, and I just said to him when I met him in January, <coughs> "You just can you stay put here, please, young man? Let's see what you can do here. You'll hopefully you'll get an opportunity." His attitude was fantastic, and I'm basing this on on his real attitude to training and. Uh, you know, he was ready for it every single day and he was only a young lad. And, uh, and so thankfully he stayed put and, uh, and it's really nice to see him having done so well, particularly last season and scoring the goals that he's capable of doing and being a, being a strong midfield player. So it would be nice for him to continue that, that career at this level. This level is obviously a massive step up again, but it's really nice to see that. So getting back to the point, and I, I think there have been one or two players uh, I'm sure who would be uh, not displeased that I left the football club. And I'd like to think that there was quite a number of players who would have thought that uh, that I could have improved their careers as I don't want to sound as really boastful as I actually think I have done during most of my managerial career. 
just on Yates, the question I was going to ask was, did you see at the time the player who's now been Forest probably best player this season? Did you see that as a possibility? I'd, I'd, it's hard to say all of those things, man. It's hard, you know what I did see is I saw, I saw I saw a blinding commitment to want to train every single day, to be out there, to be ready to go, to do all of the things that you know that you would that you would want if if that uh, if that player was your son. Those are exactly the things that you'd be asking him to do. You know get your head down, go and train, train as hard as you can for every single minute. The training sessions themselves might not necessarily be long, but you're going to put everything into it. And uh, so during the, during the course of that time, yeah, I got to, I got, I really got to, to know him and it was really, it was really nice. It was, it was nice to see him do so well, even when you've left the, left the football club. So really, really pleasing. Do you see him doing a lot of these particular things that I think is really hard to say, but uh, most importantly, he had broke he broke into the team very very quickly in my nineteen games in charge and and did exceptionally well. Did you see the makings of a squad that yourself and Roy Keane could mould that summer with some signings then, or did it need a total overhaul if you've been given the opportunity? No, it definitely needed a big overhaul. Definitely needed an overhaul. I, um, there were players at the football club who just simply weren't really were not good enough to play to, to play for Nottingham Forest for a start, and uh, I didn't think were good enough to take the team into uh, into the uh, into the big league. Yeah, so no, I definitely needed an overhaul, but I had my mindset and uh, some some players hopefully, and um, uh, but it would be, you know it'd be nice to have been given that opportunity, particularly at Nottingham Forest. But listen, you know what? Life goes on. That's it. It's over. The last question I wanted to ask about Forrest in your time as manager was, like I said before, you, you'd managed massive clubs in Celtic and Villa. Was Forrest a different club to manage because the owner had been in Greece? He has this reputation of very high turnover of players, a high turnover of managers as well. Was it a different experience from anything else you'd had in your career? No, I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Um, I didn't. Uh, no, I think I think the, the, for your time in management, I think you actually expect you're in the results business. This is important at the end of the day. Uh, you know, in the 19 games, we had put, what, uh, like a 40, 41, 42% win rate or something like this here. But it's getting to know the, it's really trying to get to know the players at that time. And you're pushed in. If this had been, if it had been given, if I'd come into the football club maybe and, and been able to work with players in a pre-season, for instance, and that was after the first week, uh, at least uh, the new manager was able to do that. Lamucci was able to work with the players during the pre-season. I think it gives you gives you an indication of what you're facing. I had when I went to Aston Villa, I had two weeks in which to work with the players before they opened the season. Two weeks, not a great deal of time, I must admit, but at least it was two weeks, if nothing else. Here, your your manager on a on a, on a Thursday afternoon or something like this here, and then. Uh, pushing in, in the game on the Saturday, so it does take you a few games. And of course, there, there, um, you know, you you were talking there about uh, a clamouring to play some some players, particularly Carvalho in the side. And as I say, th- those players, th- sorry, those uh, supporters who are, who were clamouring for in them, I, I don't I don't think are clamouring now. So all of this here is all part of 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 managing managing the team, but essentially trying to win football matches. And when I suppose when we looked as if we were getting some things right and winning the last three games of the season, albeit, and I agree, too late to get into the playoffs, then you think you've got something in which, in which to work with. And of course, pre-season, which I was really looking forward to. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I did the week there. And full enough, we did a, we did a week at Woolerton Parkman, and, which was a tough week for the players. A really tough week, and I think some of them were even reeling against that. But apparently, I hear some of them saying afterwards the week's training at Woolerton Park stood them brilliant stead during the course of the season. Yeah, well, there you go. You know, players for you. You know, you mentioned players for you. Then, I mean, as it stands, that's your most recent management job. Would you fancy one more crack at another job or not? I think, on all honesty, that I think that um, a 19 games at a club that I had spent 10 years as a player. I think that that uh, doesn't doesn't sit really that comfortably with you uh, like anything else. But I suppose perhaps maybe in the last year or two, I've hidden behind COVID as much as anything else. And maybe now with uh, maybe now it might be a chance to uh, to uh, get out and and, uh, and do something. As my daughters, uh, one of my daughters told me there only a couple of weeks ago, dad, everybody thinks you've died, you know, so uh, <laughs> 
so so perhaps I'm perhaps I'm still alive anyway. Uh, last question I wanted to uh, ask you before we go then. Forest, as it stands, going into the World Cup, 18th in the in the Premier League on the back of some decent form. What chance do you give them of staying up? Good, good set of results just recently, yes. And for the young manager who stepped in there, just let me tell you this: he's doing really, really super. Absolutely super, really great job in getting the team up last year, considering the position that uh, that he uh, inherited. Really good. Well done him. And then suddenly getting a lot of players thrown at him, you know, and having to manage those, managing expectations, managing players who are not on the side, things like this here. Just gelling, getting a little bit of time to do that. And while you're, you know, while it looked as if you're under severe pressure, I felt on, uh, I, I felt uh, that uh, that he shouldn't have been even early on in, in, in proceedings, but it was nice. Uh, it was nice to see um, uh, at least uh, seemingly a, a token effort by by the uh, uh, by the uh, manager or sorry by the um, uh, the owner of the football club to give him the contract and get things sorted out. And uh, yeah, well well done him. Really good, excellent season last year. And there's no reason with the players that they have. And this is the point. You still have to manage them. I accept that. But you have got a lot of players there at the football club. And I think the squad in itself is definitely strong enough with having spent a fair a fair amount of money to do so. But I think the squad is strong enough to stay up to stay up in the league without a doubt. Excellent. Excellent. Martin, I've kept you for a long time. Viewers and listeners won't know, but we had some terrible technical problems getting this all sorted. So you've been incredibly patient with us for no almost... Problem two hours now but just a final thing to say uh, martin's book is out now and you can catch him on saturday 2 till 3 p.m at waterstones in bridlesmith gate for the book signing hopefully you're looking forward to that mind to catch up with the fans again it would be an opportunity and uh, uh maybe you never know carvalho might be there you know <laughs> he might still have that shop that his girlfriend opened with him yeah in the city you never know you never know right um, we shall uh, let Martin go and we'll be back on Monday with Matt Ford and then we've got some other interviews lined up to keep us going through the World Cup. But in the meantime, thanks very much, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that and we shall catch you soon. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.